here's a, a couple of thoughts for the young folks. Do you know what a risk is? Like when you take a risk? A risk is when you like want to do something, but it's very like risky. Like if you jump off a cliff, that's risky. That's awfully risky. Yes. Yes. Very good. So you understand, you know, just about anything and everything we do in life has some sort of risk. Especially with COVID. Right. So, you know, we could, um, we could be walking and there's a risk that we're going to trip on something. But is it a very big risk? No. No. Or we could be chewing our food. And there's always a risk that we're going to choke on our food. But does that keep us from eating food? No. No. So there's a risk in everything. Um, but sometimes we have to make a decision about whether or not something that might be scary for us is worth the risk. And I'll tell you a story of one of the first things I remember doing uh, that had some risk involved, I think, in my life. I was five years old, and my kindergarten class was on a field trip to a zoo, and they had an area with rides and games and we were in that area and um, I was trying to become friends with Anita Nelson. She was a real sweetheart and she was very popular and I wanted to be her friend and she and I were walking together and she saw a roller coaster and wanted to go on the roller coaster. I didn't want to go. So I had a decision to make, right? Do I risk being uncomfortable on the roller coaster and then maybe lose the chance of becoming better friends with Anita Nelson? Or do I just walk away from it all? And so I decided I would take the risk and I got on that roller coaster and I was frightened like you wouldn't believe. And it sped up and it went fast and it turned the corners and I wanted to scream. But of course, I looked over at Anita and she was having the best time. So after we went around the first time, I thought, well, good, it's over. Well, no, it went around a second time. Well, by that time, I was getting a little more comfortable with it. And again, I realized how much fun she was having. And then I realized, well, why shouldn't I have some fun on this? And then it went around a third time. And by the time it went around this third time, I was having a blast. I thought it was the best fun in the whole world. And I was with my new best friend and all was good. And so in some ways, I'm glad I took that risk because I learned something about myself. I had a new adventure. I had a new friend and it was good. So sometimes risks are good. Today's gospel lesson, the story is about three people who worked for a business owner who had money given to them 
and they had to make up their mind at what level of risk do I take this money and try to make it into more money? And two did very well, and one didn't do very well at all. And so it makes me think, you know, what do we have that we value so much that is worth the kind of money that Jesus was talking about in this story? And really, the most important things I think we have aren't necessarily the money that we own, although maybe some people have a lot of money. I don't know. I think it's really more about love. So if we have a lot of love in our heart, if we invest that love in somebody else and they they learn to love back, that's a good at rich gift that we have in someone else. And maybe there's also a risk involved in that because we don't know if they're going to accept the love that we give them or if they're going to use it for good or not. But it's a risk we take. And that's what I think this story is all about, is taking the good risks that we need to take with all the things that God has given us. And maybe God will say to us, you are faithful and well-trusted, my faithful servant. So that's the story today. A little prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for everything that you've given us. Everything is so valuable and wonderful, especially our love, our faith, our hope, the things that can only come from you. And we ask that you would help us when it's right to take the risk and make these things grow, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of people that we love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Now for the older folks. The reign of God, Jesus says, is like when a business owner goes on a journey for an unspecified amount of time and entrusts a large sum of money to each of three workers. Two of them did some investing and they fared pretty well. The third buried their money in the ground. That one made no extra money, but simply managed to keep the original amount safe and sound. Some of us might think that the third worker was really the wisest. After all, we remember dates like October 19, 1987, when the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 22.6% in one day. And the several times in the past few years when the loss has been close to 10%. Investing real money can be risky and scary. Just don't forget where you buried your money. Yet, there are no guarantees that we can double our money either. As a kid already, I was noticing that so often in churches, um, the day that this parable conveniently happened on was also Stewardship Sunday, when pledge cards were handed out or returned, 
And I'm sure my pastors and the finance committee double their pledges for the coming. I don't believe this parable is about money at all, nor do I think it's about taking investment risks. This is a reign of God parable, which means that it has something to say about God's relationship with us and our relationship with God in our lives. And it's not about our capabilities. Rather, I think it's about God's lavish generosity. Jesus' audience would have, no, would have had no trouble at all seeing the irony in this parable. The business owner gave the first worker five talents, the second two talents, the third one talent. What's important to remember here is that in this parable, a talent is not a type of silver coin but rather it's a measurement of a number of silver coins, like a bushel or a peck is a, member, a, a measurement. Do we even know what a peck is anymore? I don't, do we still use that? But it's a measurement, right? Uh, some sources that I read indicate that <clears throat> five talents in today's world would be close to $5 million dollars two talents close to two million, and one talent close to one million. Jesus deliberately chooses excessive amounts of money to illustrate this parable. The amount of money laid in the lap of each worker was absolutely grotesque. As I read it, I was immediately also reminded of the parable of the sower, where the seed was thrown upon all sorts of conditions of land indiscriminately and recklessly. The seeds of God's love finds their way into every crack and every crevice of our lives. The seeds of God's love are thrown upon all sorts and conditions of people. This is a parable that illustrates the outrageous generosity and unbridled and universal graciousness of our God. We need only look around to see that each of us has had everything in all of God's creation, including salvation itself, dropped into our laps by a God of lavish grace. Now, the question that should be popping into your minds right about now, and perhaps it's even on the tip of your tongues, is <clears throat> why then did that third worker get into so much trouble? Well, I'm glad you asked. The common mistake is to think that they were in trouble because they buried the money. The quintessential sermon on this parable will say something like this. We need to be more like the first two workers. We need to take risks. We need to venture out there with our gifts to be generous with our talents as God is generous with us, and so on. And that's good advice. It's good, sound Christian teaching. It's a darn good sermon, similar to many I've preached on this parable and similar to the, day, to the children's sermon today. But it's not the one that you're going to hear today. It's a common mistake 
to assume that the third worker's problem was that they were not daring enough. It is an error to assume that the business owner's disappointment was the result of their unwillingness to at least put the talent into a low interest certificate of deposit or a simple savings account. The problem was that the third worker completely misunderstood the intentions of the business owner. They thought they knew the owner well, when in fact, they didn't have a clue. They did not say, Master, I hid your money so that it would be certain that when you returned, it would be okay. If they had said this, all would have been okay. Rather, what did that third person say? I knew that you were a harsh master, and I was afraid. Do you see the hyperbole here? The business owner, the master, our God says, who wants to be a millionaire? And he sends them all to the top of the pyramid and they didn't have to answer a single question and there's no final answer. It's all free. There are no strings attached. They can have it all. They can squander it. They can invest it. But above all, it was theirs to enjoy and to use as they saw fit. So the third worker says, I knew that you were a harsh master and I was afraid. If it wasn't so sad, it might actually be laughable. It is for that wrongful character defamation that the third worker is reprimanded. Do you see the point here? The third worker bought into the idea that all the business owner was interested in was the bottom line. They didn't know the business owner well enough. And they were so worried about failing and being judged that they didn't even take a moment to enjoy the fortune that they buried in their own backyard. The first two workers were praised for being good and faithful. In fact, the Greek word for faithful literally means to trust. They were praised because they trusted even in a generosity that bordered on insanity. Dear friends, when it comes to love and salvation, our God is insanely willing, gracious, and generous. And God's only hope is that we cast off our fears and trust in the gifts that God gives us. One of my favorite authors is Robert Farrar Capon, an Episcopal priest who wrote on the sheer needlessness of fear, the utter non-necessity of our ever having to dread God. On this particular parable, he said, the servant with the little shovel and his money apprehension that God is as small as himself is such a nerd. He is just one more of the pitiful turkeys that Jesus parades through his parables to shock us, if possible, into recognizing the stupidity of not trusting God. 
Father Capon was well known for his excessive use of colorful language, but I have to admit that sometimes I resemble those remarks. It's taken me a good long time in my life to believe that God could love me so much in spite of all my failings to bring me into the wholeness of salvation and into the joy of divine acceptance. So I'm glad that Jesus told this parable because it is one more much needed voice of affirmation of our worth in the eyes of God. Voices that we need to hear over and over and over again to counter all those other voices over the years that we've heard that try to convince us to the contrary. Jesus' words here remind me of what Matthew Fox wrote when he said that when we walk down the street, there are angels blowing their horns and shouting, make way, make way, for the image of God is coming near. Now, the ending of the parable is something that we might wish that the lectionary writers for the day omitted from this gospel reading. In it, Jesus describes a very scary scene of darkness and coldness and gnashing of teeth. But, we, but, but before we go into the automatic mode of heaping hot coals upon ourselves, I just want to suggest that it also might be a mistake to see this as a description of divine judgment, as if God has a hand on the bad egg ejector lever. It is rather, I think, a powerful metaphor to describe the kind of lonely isolation, a place that many of us have visited from time to time, um, where we feel so separated from the love of God. I mean, we have a little taste of it during this pandemic when so many of us miss terribly seeing our family and friends but imagine even more so people who are feeling removed from God's love and God's grace, who wallow in guilt and shame and don't think that they are ever going to be worthy of God's love or forgiveness. But this isolation is not being able to trust in God's grace, which makes our lives dark and cold. It can feel like a very lonely place where we feel like we're weeping and grinding our own teeth in our own distrust of God's grace in our lives. And it hurts. But Jesus is telling us in this parable, it does not have to be that way. God does not want us to hurt. So I pray that Jesus' words in this parable can be a comfort to us all, and I pray that everyone can one day come to believe that they are more valuable to God than all the talents in this parable put together. I believe that this is the very heart of the gospel proclamation of Jesus Christ. And finally, I pray that one day all people will be able to open their arms and let God empty the treasures of heaven into the coffers of their hearts, and that they might be so filled with joy at being so blessed with so many gifts from God 
that they will invest these gifts in the lives of people around them and that they might hear someday, if only in a whisper, these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen.